Good morning. I'd like to welcome you to church this morning. Please stand and join us as we sing God's praises together. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. People from every nation and tongue, from generation to generation, we
Father, we are in awe of who you are, and uh, we have come today to declare that we believe that you are who you say you are, we love you, and we've come to uh, open our hearts to you and to each other. Thank you for being present with us here in worship today. Be glorified in all that we do, and we ask this through Jesus. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning. Morning again. Morning again. Hi, Dave. I see you. Hey, sweetie. John. Hey, Jessica. How are you? Nice to see you. How's it going, man? Good. How are you? It's going. Good. You guys having uh, hanging in there? Yeah. You getting tired yet? Yeah, a little bit, but we'll be all right. <laughs> Morning. Hi, Paul. Hey, Linda. Peanut. That's a cool Bible. I like that. Just one thing I want to uh, mention to you this morning. Uh, Notice next Sunday we begin summer Sabbath. And so we have one service at 10 o'clock through the month of July and the first couple of weeks of August. So just please take note of that as you uh, think about worship next Sunday. I'd like to invite our ushers forward as we give back to God through our tithes and offerings.
Father, we do want to praise you today. You are an awesome God. We can never get to the end of saying thank you for all the ways in which you bless our lives. We thank you for the gift of family, for the gift of friends, relationships. We thank you for the gift of work. We thank you for the the gift of health. We thank you most of all for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who has come into this world in vulnerability and suffering and died for us, every one of us. So Lord, today we come in praise and thanksgiving for who you are and all that you have done. We also come today to to offer to you the burdens and the concerns and the struggles of our world and our lives. Father, we live in a very tumultuous world. And it feels like every day there is more and more that concerns us and worries us and burdens us. And today we come, we lay all of this at your feet. We pray for peace in the midst of turmoil and violence and war and threats of war. We pray, Father, for your church. Many of our brothers and sisters who live in places of conflict and persecution and pain and struggle. Father, we think especially of people who, who live in, in places where uh, the celebration of Ramadan is such a big part of life. And as this season winds down, we are grateful for, our, for Christians, for your followers, who continue to show mercy and kindness to those who often oppose them. We pray that your church will be known as, as a place, as a people of grace and love, no matter what is happening to us. Father, we thank you for the ministry that Zach and Aaron Smalley have at the Cross Barracks Ranch in Colorado. As, as they continue to work with young people who have great needs, give them strength for the summer ministry and pour out your blessings upon them in all that they do. Father, we pray for our nation. We live in a a nation of great turmoil and pain and disunity about all kinds of things. We ask for your grace upon us as a nation. We pray that your church would be a, a catalyst of love and unity because of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the ministry of your church here and around us. Today we pray for Grace Community Church on the west side of Buffalo in a very difficult neighborhood, in a very difficult place to serve. They are a beacon of light. We pray that you'd bless Pastor Cap and those who work with him, that they would know strength from you. And in the difficult times, may they sense you at work, even if they don't see it. We pray that they would know your blessing upon this congregation as they worship you and serve you. Father, we pray for the needs that we bring with us today. Some of us come with anxiety about the future. Some of us come with uh, worrying about financial needs. Some are, are, are struggling with relationships. Some wrestling with our work, our homes. We pray, Father, that you will, you will reveal yourself in each case. We pray, Father, for all who are grieving today. We ask for your mercy and your comforting presence upon them. We pray for all who are struggling with health concerns. We pray today especially for Nancy Cole and Patty Plaza, for Brian Orbacher and Peter Lingenfelter, for Ellis Brotsman and Brian Maston, and for Chuck Barrett and Joe Breton, for Cheryl O'Brien, Stor Emmett, for Ben King and Doris Asepian and Isla Shea and Sheldon Emerson, for Laurel Buker and Bill Getty, for Warren and Ella Woolsey and Phil Muker, and for Mike Raybuck and Bev Rett, and Micah Christensen and Linda Roth, for Dick Gould and Emily Cricklar, and for others who may be on our minds today. And we pray for your healing grace upon each of them. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. 
Thank you for answering in ways that you know are best. We trust you with every burden, every concern of our hearts. And we offer this prayer in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the one who leaves us the model for prayer, which we now say together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Today's scripture reading is 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 12. Following the reading, children ages 2 to 5 are dismissed to Children's Church. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe... The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as foreigners and exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand as we sing together. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. The light of the world is Jesus. Like sunshine at noonday, his glory shone in. The light of the world is Jesus. No darkness for those who in Jesus abide. The light of the world is Jesus. We walk in the light when we follow our guide. The light of the world is Jesus. Washing his fountain and light will arise. The light of the world. 
just have to tell you that um, I've scratched one thing off my bucket list, and that's play, by, play baseball for the Rapids, and I'm on this afternoon. I don't know if I can preach twice today and go to the Rapids justice, but that's one thing off my bucket list. Another one is playing the bass like Dan Warniger does, and uh, I have to take lessons first, but that's another thing I want to do someday. What do you want to do someday? Anyway... Now, we're going to be preaching and sharing today from 1 Peter chapter 2. You just read it, heard it read, and uh, I suggest you have your Bible open there because I'm not going to put a lot of it on the screen, but there'll be some other verses and references to it. So keep your Bibles, and then there'll be a lot of other scriptures just come rapid fire at you today. I hope that's okay, but uh, 1 Peter will be at the base of our, our words today. I also feel that I just want to say whatever the Holy Spirit says to you today and applies this message to you, be open to him. Uh, It may seem at some parts of this message that it's just not for you. Talking about worship music today, partly. And we've had such wonderful music today. I just appreciated worshiping with you in this service and the choice of the songs were just lifted us right up to heaven. But you may say, well, this isn't really uh, what I need today. But honestly, I believe the Lord has something for us all. So could we pray, first of all, before we look at the text? Lord, thank you for this time of worship together. In this little lowly corner of your world, there's a group of people here who've been worshiping you. And then up and down and in the hills, there are other churches singing your praises. And around the world, in small huts or in large cathedrals, people have been praising you and worshiping you. And we wonder whether the world even notices, but you do, and you see our hearts, and we thank you that we can lift our hearts to you in genuine praise, and we mean it from all our hearts. Now bless us as we look at your word. May it speak to us where it needs to. In Jesus' name, amen. So once again, reading... The main part of the text today from Second Peter, First Peter, chapter two, verse nine. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. 
Live such good lives that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Now, I've cut out some of the verses there, but just left some essential words. Well, what's the reason that God places us here on this earth or leaves us here instead of whisking us off to heaven? Some people, that's their whole view of salvation. Many know, many of you know the first question of the famous shorter catechism. We had the group up here last week who just went through the catechism, didn't we? What is the chief goal of human life? The answer, the main goal of human life is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So that's pretty standard Christian, even memorized truth. And you can hear this. You can hear it again when I read the same passage from 1 Peter chapter 2 in Eugene Peterson's rendition in the message. You are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be holy people, God's instruments to do His work and speak for Him, to tell others of the night and day difference He made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. By the way, uh, I was rejected 61 years ago, and I still remember it. This is for certain people. No, anyway. We moved to Wellsville in the summer of my fourth grade year, so I missed the tryouts in that town for Little League, my first year of eligibility. The next year I went to tryouts, but teams already had their fifth graders and their sixth graders and were looking at the juicy fourth graders, and they rejected me. Wouldn't happen in Fillmore, but maybe there. So in spite of my scintillating performance on the field, at the tryouts, no one chose me for their team. I would have made a great outfielder and a good hitter. You know what? 61 years later, to this day, I can remember that day of tryouts. I remember not being chosen. But hey, there's good news, better news, the most important news. If, by the grace of God, we've chosen to believe in Christ, if we've accepted His universal invitation to new birth and new life, entering His kingdom, we are very special. We are chosen. We are selected for His team. That's what our text says. We see this so emphatically in the Apostle Peter's letter. Who is it written to? Ordinary, common, Jewish, and Gentile Christians scattered throughout Asia Minor in the first century. They weren't written, these words, to priests and to bishops and to pastors. They were written to ordinary people. So what gives them their status? Over in chapter 1, he, he actually says it in verse 13. You have been chosen. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. So what's their position? Not outfielders, not bishops. Peter piles it on. Not with just one role, but he uses all these words. Chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, belonging to God. And again, it's for the ordinary people. They all have first-string status. These titles drip with Old Testament meaning. The whole Old Testament from the Pentateuch through the prophets and Psalms. This is the title. These were the titles that were given to the people of Israel. And now they're transferred to the church. So, what is their assignment? This is the big question that we're asking today. Why are we here? And that's what I want us to think about. The job of Christians is parallel in many ways to the job God gave to the nation of Israel. He chose and called them to be witnesses to the rest of the world. We've already talked about that a bit in the songs. Peter, in this passage in 1 Peter chapter 2, quotes Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 43 where God calls Israel, my people, my chosen, the people I form for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. 
Isaiah 43, 21. And of course, the Psalms, which we're so familiar with, were worship songs of Israel. Many, like Psalm 105, say, Give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of his wonderful acts, glory in his holy name. His people's praise, even the formal temple worship in the Old Testament, was intended to attract others, others who were in the dark, not worshiping the one true God of light. So Isaiah chapter 60 says, See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory is over you. Nations will come to your light. Jesus was so jealous that in his day, that's kind of why I believe he drove out the money changers in the court of the Gentiles. I mentioned that on Palm Sunday. It's because the Gentiles had been excluded from witnessing the worship of the people of God. So now Peter picks up the same theme, replacing the nation with people like you and me. We no longer have to offer animal sacrifices. Instead, we offer sacrifices of praise because Jesus already atoned for sin. So now we offer his praise. Our lives are to be so full of worship and praise and good deeds that they glorify our Father in heaven. Peter was there on Pentecost Day, wasn't he? At the birthday of the church, God's people. When the crowds in Jerusalem remarked, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. Because Peter was there also on the Mount, uh, the Sermon on the Mount at the feet of Jesus. When Jesus said, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The Apostle Paul wraps this up so well in a couple of verses in Corinthians and Colossians. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Or whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So here's the point of today's study. We can boil down this mission to worship and glorify God in front of the world into two basic areas. We are to declare God's glory and God's praises on our lips and with our lives. You can go home now. <laughs> That's the message. And we've had great worship. Shall I just squeeze a little more out of this? With our lips and with our lives. The prerequisite for doing this, of course, we've already mentioned, is allowing the life-changing grace of God at work in our lives. We recognize the darkness of our soul without God, the tragedy of being lost in our sin. No matter how glitzy and pretty the world tries to make it, it is in the dark. Without God, life is empty and void. And I just want to pause because I don't know all of you. Do you know the joy of repentance and faith which unleashes God's grace and gives us life. And I just say, if you don't, don't stop until you find it. Don't stop until you find it. Drop everything until you find the light of life. But if we do know him, which most of us do, we've got something to declare. And first of all, we declare it with our lips. Now, Peter, in this book, it's kind of a missionary book or an evangelistic book, and he talks about talking for Jesus with our lips. Later in chapter 3, verse 15, one of the most famous verses, always be prepared to give an answer or a reason for the hope that is in you, but do this with gentleness and respect. And here I'd love to do a whole study on how to witness and do it with gentleness and respect. Sometimes Christians kind of do this kind of witnessing. And I think there's a great way to give a reason for the hope that's in us. But I want to emphasize for these few moments the corporate worship of the church, which we've just experienced. Even singing, that is a vital declaration of witness to the world. You know this. God is so worthy of our worship. 
He's our number one joy and our number one priority. Think of his creation, his power, his love, his patience, his purposes, his provision of salvation, his comfort, on and on. Our pastor Wes almost every week says, our view of God influences everything else about our lives. And I would say our worship demonstrates to others what we think about God. And the local congregation, the church you attend, the church you're in today or other weeks, of the congregation of God's people are crucial in the witness to the world. Those of you who have heard me several times know one of my favorite writers is Leslie Newbigin. That's a male Leslie. Leslie Newbigin was a British pastor and theologian and was a missionary to India for over 30 years. And after all his experiences in India, seeing many people come to Christ from the low caste to the high castes, he said this, One factor was common to all. It was the presence of a believing, worshiping, celebrating congregation of people deeply involved in the ordinary life of their neighborhood. It was the work of the Spirit present in the life of the congregation flowing out into the community through the faithful words and deeds of its members. End quote. We're so blessed here at Houghton Wesleyan Church. Like I say, I'm jealous or at least have on my bucket list that I could play in a contemporary worship team. You know I sing in the choir, don't you? How well this congregation gathers and sings God's praises. It's huge, way bigger than you probably even have thought about. And I just say thanks. Thanks to our musicians who aren't all about themselves but are all about congregational participation and singing. And there are many churches in our region and throughout the world. In fact, the spread of the gospel throughout the world, especially in the 20th and 21st century, had been a spread of Christian music and singing. The study is ethnomusicology and, and ethnodoxology, the, the study of God's music in all the languages and indigenous music of the world. And it's been a big factor in the growth of the church worldwide. I want to share an Australian author, John Dixon, in a little book, The Best Kept Secret of Christian Mission, tells two stories of non-believers quite accidentally drawn to faith in Christ by the mere simplicity and genuineness of exposure to worshiping Christians. A BBC commentator, journalist, and author explained that she was too busy, too hungry and grasping to live up Live it up in life for any commitment to Christ. Yet she and her husband stumbled into an Anglican evensong where the combination of prayers and scripture and readings and psalms and choral music captured them, their busy, frantic lives, and drew them beautifully to Jesus. What a story. He tells of another friend who was an atheist and said, Don't bother trying to convert me. But visiting a contemporary worship service to please a friend at the baptism of their child, she was struck by the overpowering spiritual feeling, kind of, is the way she put it, the impact that that service had on her, simple, ordinary service. And so the once despised church pulled her in. She soon found herself joining a Bible study and then drawn irresistibly to Christ. Dixon, in his book, likens this to the Old Testament role of temple praise in front of the nations. And he calls it doxological evangelism. That is, proclaiming the gospel through our declarations of God's doxa, or God's glory. Think about this next time you sing the doxology. Think about it the next time you invite somebody to church. I know we've, we've really said, well, don't invite them to church. Go out to them in the world. I'm coming. We'll get there. But do you ever think how people might be shocked and drawn to Christ just by worshiping Christians? Don't underestimate the power of song and the power of worship. 
The writer of the Hebrews said, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Hope you're feeling good about singing today. Paul writes, You were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. Be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make melody, music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 5. Now, we can't always sing this witness in the church or only with the congregation or only when things are going well. Scratch your head. You remember where? Book of Acts. Paul and Silas. Where were they? They had been flogged and they were in the worst of dingy prisons in the inner cell with their feet in stocks, late at night, no light. Probably a very smelly place. And what were they doing? Praying and singing hymns to God. And the scripture clearly says in Acts 16, and the other prisoners were listening in. God got such a charge out of that that he sent an earthquake. And I was a little worried we might even have one in church today. He sent an earthquake. He freed the prisoners. And what happened? A revival. The jailer and I believe the prisoners So I'm calling this doxological evangelism case study number one. And it's been going on ever since. Now someone I don't quote on all topics, but John Piper did get at it when he said, Mission is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. I say when we do bold Genuine worship, we do mission. Now, we can't spend all our lives singing or going to church. And Peter gets that very well. If you heard the scripture, he goes on in verse 12 to say, to live such good lives among pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. So not only with our lips, but we declare God's praise with our lives as well. Peter describes practical holy living in this chapter, in this book, in fact. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's servant. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the empire. There's so much specific teaching here and on and throughout the book. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 8, talking about various ways we can serve. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Chapter 4, verse 18, it says. So we could do a whole study here on Christian living, and it's a big topic, isn't it? But safe to say, we declare God's greatness by displaying and living out what he has done to transform our lives. Pastor West had some of us on staff read a book a few years ago by Mark Laberton, The Dangerous Act of Worship. Laberton says, Worship means dwelling where God's heart is and showing it in lives that embody his loving righteousness and merciful justice. Worship is to be the one activity that sums up the scope of our lives. What he's saying is, if we show mercy to people and are out in the world doing justice, We are worshiping. So plainly, everything we do at work or in the family or at play is a declaration of praise and glory to God. I've talked to Dave Lewis just before service. I heard Coach Lewis describe playing soccer as an act of worship. I scratched my head early on. Well, if we do it unto the Lord and for his glory, it is part of worship. I see it when, even after a loss, the team circles up and sings a song, says a prayer, thanksgiving after the game. I see it when Christian athletes play all out as unto God. It was the Olympic runner, Eric Little, who said, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. If this is true in sports, it's true in all our endeavors. 
Now I'm going to throw the other side of the coin. Johann Sebastian Bach wrote on each great manuscript of church music, in fact, on many of all his music, the Latin phrase, soli deo gloria, glory to God alone. And most people in music would say he was a genius, the genius of composition. So when I see a concert pianist point heavenward during the applause for a great performance, God gets the glory. When I see a mother and father mop up after the tribe has created chaos on the first day after summer vacation, I've seen that this week, God gets the glory. When I see a gardener work the soil, God gets the glory. When we do anything with the glory of God on our hearts, it's worship. It's what we're looking for. Probably 90 years ago, 90, 90, a young prize-winning artist attended a revival meeting. We used to call them camp meetings. And since the call of art and the call of God on her heart. So on her knees, she held up her hands and sensed a tangible fire burning her hands. Unmistakably, she gave those hands to God. So decades and decades later, that artist, my mother, testified that God gave the glory And she gave God the glory when her hands were aching with arthritis in her 90s. But she picked up the brush and painted without pain. Set it down, and the pain came back. She gave God the glory and gave God her body. Have we given our whole lives to God, our words, our hands, our bodies, our work, so that he can use that to declare his praise and give him glory in all we do. So I'm reminded of Paul in Romans chapter 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Well, let's wrap this up. And I think we can do it nicely with a word from Our own Mike Walters in his little book, Can't Wait Till Sunday. Listen closely. When we gather on Sundays to worship, that corporate event must be seen as a prelude to being dismissed or scattered to go forth and be the church wherever we find ourselves. I've always been impressed with the amazing growth of the church in its infancy in the time when Peter was writing and beyond. British theologian Michael Green writes a book, The uh, Evangelism in the Early Church, and describes the spontaneous, lay-led expansion of Christianity under extreme persecution and trials. And there were things like their charity to one another, and their good deeds, and their love. But he concludes, Christianity is enshrined in the life but it is proclaimed by the lips. If there is failure in either respect, the gospel cannot be communicated. Lips and life. That's exactly what Peter is urging to do, us to do, to experience Christ, to worship Christ, to declare Christ, and to live like Christ. A story I'll conclude with that I've told here, I'm sure, or at least in my classes. One of the several stories of Muslims coming to Christ in our years in Sierra Leone, West Africa, most of them were young people at our camps. But there was one older man who came to Christ. He was a Muslim, uh, I might call him a witch doctor, or at least a fortune teller. And he was a foreigner, an alien in the country. He was a Fula by tribe, which is a 100% Muslim tribe. Name was Alpha Jalo. And the short story is that he wandered through our small Bible college community and campus every night on his way to and from the city of Freetown. 
And so he'd stumble into uh, our Sunday evening uh, worship gathering. It was just an informal gathering on Sunday because most of our students and most of us were out in variety of churches. But on Sunday night, we gathered as a group of believers and worshiped Christ together. But more importantly, perhaps, he also stumbled onto the back porch or just a, a, a hard dirt area under a mango tree behind the campus dining hall where Pa and Ya Fona, whose son is Warren Fona, named after Warren Woolsey. If you can connect the dots, you'll know that this is a long story. But Warren Fona was our cook. And he and his wife held court, we used to say, every evening under the shade of the mango tree. And people would wander by, and students would bring their problems. And dogs would be running around, and kids would be running around, and it was a friendly, warm place. And Alpha Jala, that tall Fula man, would sit down there and watch Christians at work, at play, at rest, at conversation. He had no reason to become a Christian, except... He saw Christ in Pafona and in that group of believers that met on humble, humble way on Sunday nights. And this is what Alpha Jalo said in his first testimony that I heard him give. I was in the dark, but I have come to the light. Can we declare the glory of God with our lips and with our lives? And can we do it well for Jesus' sake? Let's. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love worshiping you. We love music, and we love to sing, and we love to clap. And we do it from the bottom of our hearts with joy for what you've done for us. We do it even sometimes in hard times and hard places. But help us to see that we also do it for the world out there that needs the light of your gospel. So help us to do it well. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand and sing with us.
receive the benediction. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same mind towards one another that Jesus Christ had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.